0: real hook
1: Welcome back to a new episode of Jackman Radio I'm your host Mike Jackman your other host Eric Jackman and as always running point running the production and the engineering and the editing and everything Mr. Aaron LaFond Aaron great to be with you man aka Oswald it's good to be here what a fun what a what a fun night we have planned yeah, it's been about a month since we've been all been together. Yeah, we took a little time off. We all kind of traveled the United States in different directions. Mike and I did our road trip with our dad, covered about 1,200, 1,300 miles. We hit New York City, Washington, D.C., the coast of Maryland, and all the way back again. New York City? Did you say New York City? I said New York City. Okay, New yeah. York City. We did. What a fun time. We escaped from New York, too, eventually. and and, uh, (laughs) Yeah, we did. Why did we play Werewolves of London, Mike? We played Werewolves of London for two reasons. Um, Well, one, the movie An American Werewolf in London is a uh, great... (laughs) Halloween. (laughs) It's a great movie. (laughs) Uh, Two, um, it's almost Halloween. And actually, three, we're interviewing Jesse the Body Ventura tonight. And he used that song. That song was played at his inauguration. Live with Warren Zevon. Yeah. After he became the governor Werewolf of Minnesota. Werewolves of Minnesota. Uh, ooh, werewolves of London. My, mm-hmm. uh, my aunt voted for Jesse Ventura. She's my no way. She's
2: a Minnesota resident.
1: Really? Yes. No kidding. Nice. Oh, this is um, this is an interview, man. I've been wanting to do for a long time, and uh, you know, I gotta, I've said it all along that we've had this podcast. You know, Jesse's one of my heroes. And uh, just a, just an awesome guy, larger-than-life renaissance man. And uh, we're really looking forward to talking to him. So uh, what else is going on? Well, so we got back from the road trip, and there's always, as always, political events we've been going to. Uh, we went and saw our, uh, well, you went and saw Trump, actually, earlier this week. What, <laughs> I what, what, did. What was the deal on that? I did. I was, I, I uh, weaseled my way into the morning show on the, uh, NBC with Matt Lauer and was one of only 120 people allowed in the audience at a taping of a live Pancakes in Politics Town Hall with GOP frontrunner Donald Trump and Trump and Matt Lauer sat down for an hour that rhymed and um, basically Lauer interviewed him about the campaign and then some people from the audience were allowed to ask questions I had submitted my question got called by an NBC producer I thought that I was going to be able to ask mine but they didn't end up picking me they well, had Trump pancakes too, didn't they? Yeah, the, the yeah I was pin- gonna say they—they yeah. they had pancakes. They, had, the, yep, they had pancakes. Okay. Syrup? And they had the. Oh yeah, okay. oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it wasn't that cheap on Jemima shit either. But you didn't have any, right? I Why is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't eat any because I'm eating paleo these days, and I've been on it for. Uh, oh God. Been on it for 16 days and I've lost 12 pounds. That's great. So, ladies, single ladies, married ladies, whoever's, you eat twigs and, whoever's listening, and bark. I'm on my way. Yeah, yeah I, I eat a mix of <laughs> sassafras and bark and uh, greens, and and frogs, and curds and whey. All the hemp you could ever desire. No, it's basically protein heavy, man. It's similar to Atkins, but it's less like stupid. And uh, you just eat all good meats, grass fed meats, um, seafood. And no cheap ass oils. Everything in olive oil, and um, you know, no more sugar, no candy, no bread, no soda, no beer. Even though I am going to have one beer tonight during uh, the podcast, I have to celebratory. Actually... Yeah, let me actually. Yeah, this... yeah, let me just go ahead and do this because something. That... It's a tradition.
2: That's a, he's pouring a Corona into a blue solo
1: cup. Oh God! Case campus safety comes by. Yeah.
3: No, that's yeah. water, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm studying. We got off track there though. But the pancakes had Trump's. Uh, they had Trump on it. The Trump insignia. Really? They had? Yeah. They did. They did. I really? actually saw that, that on that? TV. Like, yeah. like
2: temporary tattoos or
1: something. They, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really ask. But all I had at the event was coffee because I was kind of nervous. Like I'm going to be on national TV, and if I eat too much, I might shit my pants while oh. this thing's going. <laughs> <you> <laughs> know? It could be viral.
2: If, yeah, if that happened, you start shouting Jackman Radio, Jackman Radio. Oh, believe me, Aaron, <laughs> believe me. I had plans to plug Jackman Radio <laughs> yeah. in front of millions and Matt that Lauer,
1: but I didn't get my chance. But a lot of people saw me. They saw my my, uh, my, my fat ugly face, as Donald <laughs> would say. And um, there was a great screen capture that my buddy got. I, I, you probably saw it. I threw I it on Facebook it. of uh, me and Trump in the same screen. Oh, I like the see. same picture. Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah, in the break, He's yeah. like, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know, 12 feet behind Eric on stage doing his pug face. Yeah, doing his orangutan. You can see Eric like <laughs> looking right into the camera. Yeah, I'm looking right at the camera like, yeah, I know what's going on. It's me and, it's me and the Donald. So what was your question that you were planning I on I was going to ask Donald about Saudi Arabia and at the same time hammer away at Hillary and Jeb Bush because of their connections to Saudi Arabia. And the fact that they don't go after them for funding terrorism. And Hillary Clinton runs around saying she's great on women's and human rights issues. But Saudi Arabia is probably one of the greatest violators of women's and human rights in the planet. And the Clinton Foundation's taken millions of dollars from Saudi Arabia. And the Bush Gang. And then I want, yep, so it was going to be, it was triple pronged. I was going to be like, hi, I'm Eric Jackman, the host of New Hampshire's greatest podcast, Jackman Radio. And then I was going to do a whole diatribe in Trump's voice, calling out Jimmy Fallon. And I was going to be like, by the way, Jimmy Fallon, your show's great. It's tremendous. The ratings are huge. But my Donald Trump's a lot better than yours. Let's face it. It's a lot better. And it was going to be a whole thing. It was a scam to get on a Tonight Show. But I'm, I'm going to still work at any angles I can. Well, we're going to try and get you an actual costume and wig. And Yeah, I'm going you- to a Halloween party for, uh, Saturday night. And I think I'm gonna do full Trump, like a full awesome. retard. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. we're gonna paint his face. Paint like my orange. face. Yeah, and get the wig. But uh, it was fun, man. I had a great time. Everyone was really nice. The P- NBC was really professional. Matt Lauer was a sweetheart. I met him, got a picture with him. I did my Trump fresh for him. He loved it. And then so. afterwards, you, did you get? Didn't you get a few minutes with Trump? I actually got like 30 seconds with Trump. Got him to sign my book, The Art of the Deal. Which is huge. It's been translated in like four million languages, including Klingon and Dothraki, and um, they're teaching it at Hogwarts now this semester. Yeah, it's in the curriculum at Hogwarts. This thing's huge, and um, he signed it for me. I said, uh, "Donald, keep hammering Hillary and Bush. They're, they're bad news. We can't let them into the White House." Oh, I agree. And I'm gonna. I'm not gonna stop. This thing is just getting going. We got a hundred days till the first votes are cast. And I and I said keep it going, Donald, and we fist bumped it, and he vanished into the mystic. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> dispersed like mist. Yeah, yeah. Ten billion dollar <laughs> mist. <laughs> <laughs> last night, Trump, uh, Bush didn't look so good at the debate last night. Mm. Man, he was stumbling all over the place, you Is know? this the second one? Third. Third one, This okay. was the, this was the CNBC it. debate, um, uh. you and your money, or whatever the hell it was called. Your Basically. vote, your money. Basically, we're going to take your money and fuck you. That's you know? <laughs> 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 what it should be called. Yeah. You know, your tax dollars at work to buff my ass. Yeah, kill brown people 8,000 miles away. I thought <laughs> I thought Marco did a good job. Marco Rubio, yeah, you know, he was really he, he cute. Ha- he had some good comebacks for some of the attacks that he knew were coming his way. Because he's in his first term as a senator from Florida, and he's missed, like, I don't know... It's a lot of votes. More than half of his votes. Rand and Paul's made most of them. He has. Yeah, so he made that point. Right. That's a good point, but Marcos, you know, he was using the Senate as a stepping stone to run for president. Of course. I mean, JFK did the same thing. Absolutely. but Bobby did the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, Rubio looked good. He he uh, didn't sweat as much. Um, Bush was terrible. Oh, oh He God. was just horrible he's talking about giving someone a big wet kiss and oh yeah that's just bad. It, it wasn't cutesy like yeah, if it, it came from lindsey graham it would be a and different then there stuff. was there was a funny moment we were watching it and it was filmed it was out in colorado boulder colorado at a campus and ted cruz was making a point and then he was like <clears throat> he did like some serious coughing i'm like oh man cruz is hitting that weed you know <laughs> a minute later he said he was going to buy a pot brownie for one of the candidates <laughs> special brownie for the candidates yeah i bet half of them were high during that fiorina probably she probably does coke yeah, I think Christie just came from his, his weekly colonic. <laughs> he looked a little, you know. Yeah, meatball parmesan. Yeah, he looked a little rough for wear. But, I don't know. And then there's another uh, Democratic debate. What next month? Something like that. And that's just that's going to be the Hillary and and yeah, Bernie. Hillary show with, Bernie. With O'Malley occasionally going, uh, can I, you know? Yeah, Martin O'Malley yelling raising, about the NRA. Yeah, you know, exactly. Sucks. Sucks. We need Jesse in there. Jesse, we need you in there. When you listen to this, we need you to run. We're going to talk about that with Jesse Ventura. Yeah, we got a lot of great stuff to cover with Jesse. We are super excited. And uh, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back with Jesse the Body Ventura. Pearl guys, equip them with grenade launchers and flamethrowers, and let them hunt each other down. It's the reality show where you just might be part of the action. The game doesn't end until there's only one man left standing. Tune in nightly or watch the 24 hour
3: live webcast. Liberty City Survivor Natural Selection has come home. Right. <laughs>
1: We are back with more Jackman Radio Podcast for your listening delight. Super excited for our guest calling in tonight. One of my heroes, political idols, and one of the baddest dudes on this planet, former independent governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura. Ventura is a former Navy frogman, a professional wrestler, a movie actor, a visiting fellow at Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and the New York Times bestselling author of seven books, He was the host and executive producer of True TV's Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura and is currently the host of Aura TV's Off The Grid, which you can watch online at Aura.tv slash Off The Grid and on TV at RT America every Friday at 6 and 9 p.m. Eastern. Ventura has a reputation as a rebel and a free thinker. He also has no qualms about questioning authority. The second edition of his New York Times bestselling book, American Conspiracies, is in stores now. And you can follow Jesse Ventura on Twitter at GovJVentura. You've had several projects that have dealt with conspiracies. One of our favorite uh, ones was the uh, television program, uh, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. And I wanted to ask you, um, you did some great episodes on that, Governor, and we really appreciate the work you did there. Um, I wanted to ask you, what was the process of tracking down Marina Oswald and meeting her and, and being able to talk to her? That must have been pretty surreal for you, huh? Well, yeah,
3: it was interesting she's an infamous figure in our history. Uh, she would not go on camera, so I just met with her off camera, and I talked with her for, I guess it would be about an hour. She's remarried now and lives a completely different life, but she's still attached to it. And she has her two daughters who she protects like any mother would uh, their safety and all that. And, uh, she, she, she did admit to me though, that she has a change of opinion today. Uh, at the time she believed the Warren commission because, you know, they threatened her with deportation and all that. And they had her basically locked up and under house arrest for a while. And, uh, she, you know, being in, in, in from Russia and all that and, and knowing her background, I could see where, you know, in the end she'd say whatever she was told to say. And I think that's what she's essence was admitting off camera was that she was only repeating what she felt she needed to do for her children's safety and all that. But I believe today she's gone on record stating that now she does not believe the Warren Commission.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many, so many holes in that, and so much, uh, so much to talk about uh, going on there. And I've always been interested, Governor. I read in uh, "Don't Start the Revolution Without Me." You talk a lot about Robert Kennedy Jr. And I understand you know him pretty well. or You guys have hung out a few times. And I was just wondering if you have any cool anecdotes about him and kind of how he feels about the assassination of his father and his uncle. No, because that's something that's you know, interesting. The Kennedys don't talk about it. and You can tell right away they don't desire to. Yeah, so you definitely...
3: Uh, that's their personal choice. Uh, I've also had discussions with Maria Shriver,
2: mm-hmm. who of course is a you know,
3: female in the Kennedy family. Right.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I. And, and you know, and uh, that's about as far as you're going to get. And,
3: and uh, it's not a subject, I think, that, that anyone would feel totally comfortable bringing up with them. Uh, at least I didn't. I felt that anything they want to say, they'll bring up themselves. And that's a good I point. I
0: felt a bit uncomfortable
3: prodding them over it because uh, it's not really my business what they think. Of
1: sure. And RFK Jr. did pen a really good piece in Rolling Stone on the 50th anniversary. Of his uncle's assassination that definitely alluded to some rogue cia guys being involved in the uh, the big event yeah well you know i'm sure
3: that you know as they move forward and fade of uncover and uh, and look into it that they they would probably come to that conclusion also because they're very intelligent people and you know I, i've always heard there's this story and, and i've heard it's true maybe you guys could Jackie Kennedy, and that it's not to be opened until both her children are dead. Mm. Yeah, Of course, John now is dead, so only the daughter is alive, and when she goes, when and if, I've heard allegedly, and let's remember, Jackie was the closest living witness to the killing of her husband, and she's never really commented on it, has she?
1: Yeah, that's very true. I, I did hear something about that, and I mean, even just immediately after he was shot, she said, you know, they they killed him, they killed him. Um, yeah, she used the term
3: they. They killed my husband. She didn't use a single. She definitely used plural when she remarked about it. But I've heard rumor that there is this letter that that's locked in the Kennedy safe with with the stipulation that it's not to be opened until both her children are no longer here. And uh, so, clearly, I think Jackie had a a high level of fear for the safety of her children. And that's why she
1: made the decisions that she made post her husband being killed. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. And so, you mentioned you're kind of in the middle of the book tour right now, Governor. Um, I'm actually in the end of it oh you're at the end of it what what uh what this place was the last night you got you tell by my voice <laughs> yeah some <it's a, laughs> yeah, yeah you still got it what where did you uh what cities did you visit and what kind of response and reception did you get oh I,
3: I only went to new york and i did all the book signings in minnesota because it's a reissue book you know it's been out already we just added four new chapters to it but i did hear that it's sold out on amazon somebody said they went there They said it's already sold out, so hopefully we'll be printing more, getting more out there because, uh, again, it's a book that, you know, people assume it's going to be a a, a fun read. It it truthfully is not a fun read. No. Uh, It's an eye-opening read, and I view it as a scary read. It's Mm. my
2: best uh, book. Becoming uh, Stephen King I guess
3: Yeah. Only great. I do it in a different genre I try to do it with things that Really happen and not just use My imagination like Stephen does Of the macabre right. uh, You know this stuff's bizarre enough When you get into it
1: Yeah the funny thing is Governor I read your books when I'm whenever I'm flying Because um, I kind of equate it to When your wrestling days You said you did lots of reading during your traveling Of the Kennedy assassination and various things And I'm a terrible flyer I'm always just Fearful of the plane crashing and whatnot, so for some reason I like to read about this really dark stuff when I'm thirty thousand feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Just knowing my la- well, my I last would thought. Doing that if you have that fear to begin with. But doing to read this dark stuff at thirty thousand feet, you can get off the plane quite depressed. <laughs> well, I'm I- I'm Irish, so it's kind of part of that JFK fatalist uh, you sure. know shtick. And I-, I got to um also, Governor, I have to thank um, Carla Blumberg from mm-hmm. Wishes and More Charity. That you're yeah. that you're associated with, she helped uh, helped me get this interview with you, and your your wife helped out too. And I told them that I would you know plug that charity. So um, I noticed you were in a golf. Uh, you did golfing with some people who bid on a chance to golf with you. And um, if you just want to talk a little bit about your association, the wishes and more, and kind of what their goal well, is. Wishes and more is a charity I've been with for a long, long
3: time. They, uh, we were the old Wish of Minnesota. And- because Carla wouldn't take a salary and had a national make-a-wish and all this, they fired her. And okay. so uh, the late Scott do and myself and a few others of us that were on the board of advisors, we mass resigned then, and Carlos started up Wishes and More, which is a break-off from Make-A-Wish. And uh, I think the money's used more efficiently in Wishes and More, and more gets to the kids, mm-hmm. uh, which is the ultimate goal anyway. And uh, we, we relax the rules more than Make-A-Wish. Like, we don't have problem giving a kid a mechanical device, which Make-A-Wish doesn't allow that. Like, we had a kid who had a very terminal, Oldness, and his big dream was to own this great big snowmobile and he was a teenager and we thought why not? Yeah. So we brought him his snowmobile and his father spoke this summer. His son's gone now but he said that snowmobile brought a light to his son's life that he couldn't prescribe and couldn't thank us enough for.
1: Wow. Well good on you guys yeah, for uh, that.
3: So we, we do things beyond what make wish does. Uh, we, like I said we relax the rules a little more and we have a, a wish child, and that child happens to not make it and achieve the wish because they pass on. We then give money to the family to help with with the funeral expenses, which Make-A-Wish does
1: not do that either. Well, that's awesome, Governor. I'm glad to hear that. And you've always been outside the box with everything in your life, and that's that's really beautiful. I'm glad to hear about that. And I, I wanted to ask you a couple of things about when you were running for governor of Minnesota. Um, I have to give you props, you know, in the, in the last few years being open about your atheism. And I'm an atheist in a pretty uh, religious part of New Hampshire, and, and not a lot of people who are atheists, have the courage or really want to take the flack for being open about it but i want to know when you were running um if the question of religion ever came up and kind of what you did with that and how you responded if somebody asked you about religion well the question of religion came up multiple times because i did the infamous playboy interview where i made the mistake of thinking that only playboy readers would read it
3: (laughs) and and that would be okay and they took it out of context, they took little bits and pieces, which would be the equivalent of taking the photos in Playboy and putting them on a mainstream media front page. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and that's a mistake I made. I shouldn't have been so open thinking that they would leave it in Playboy. and That's why I made the famous statement that organized religion's a crutch for weak-minded people. And what I meant by that, because it was taken out of context, was that if you have strong spiritual conviction, you don't need masses of groups of people to sing kumbaya with you, to reassure you of your of your beliefs. And that's what the whole, the, the whole picture of what I said was. Right. That it was taken out of context. And of course I paid the price for it, but that's the position I had on it, was simply that I, I kind of laugh when people need this support group to Believe in something, right? You know, and so they—they're obviously not strong-willed or strong-minded. They're weak-minded so, if they need that type of help. And then, of course, uh, I got in huge trouble when uh, I wouldn't declare
1: National Prayer Day. Oh, I was yeah. the only governor in the United States that would not do it. Phenomenal.
3: And the reason I didn't do it was really quite simple. Why do you need the government or the governor to tell you to pray? Right. Pray all you want. You don't need me to stand up there as governor and tell you, Well, today's the day you pray (laughs) And I'm also a big believer in the separation of church and state.
2: Oh yeah.
3: I don't believe you should bring your religious beliefs necessarily into the state house where all have to then abide by what your religious beliefs are. And so I, 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 and I'm proud of the fact that I had the courage to not declare National Prayer Day. And when the press got all over me, I said, "Look, I said there's atheists in the world too. Yeah. That means next month I'd have to
1: probably declare National Prayer No Prayer Day." Right, right. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, "I don't want to get into all this. It's got nothing to do with governing." And that's why governor you know, that's, Pray if you want to I don't care play all you want if it makes you feel good do it <laughs> but you don't need me as a government right. rubber stamping it for you oh. That's why I love you governor that's why you're one of my heroes I just I got to put it out <laughs> I got to I got to put it out well, here Jesse I love you man I love you You know it's it's uh and, and I got my courage,
3: I actually got my courage to finally come out publicly and say I'm an atheist because uh, of, uh, of uh, Christopher Hutchins, who I oh,
1: yeah. oh, uh, was on Bill Maher one night wearing a shirt that said I'm African American. <laughs> right, oh yeah, <laughs> I saw I, that. I kind of laughed about it, but I realized that we all are. Yeah. If you believe in evolution and if you believe in man, right. well then the first discovered man on the planet was in Africa. In Africa, that's very true. And so in, in essence, then aren't we then all African Americans. That's and, true. And also, Governor, I'd like to point out that Jerry Falwell was a religious businessman. He was a huckster and he prayed, preached superstition and uh, played on people's lives. He knew nothing about. I'm not sad that he's gone. <laughs> that's that's my that's my Hitchens impression for you. <laughs>
2: much like the gays hmm. you know the gay people to come out of the closet and stand up proudly and, and, uh, and, and that you are an atheist and you know there's a lot of very famous people that were
1: atheists and they accomplished a lot of great things there's nothing wrong with it you just yeah. simply don't believe there's a supreme being Exactly. and
3: until yeah. I get some proof of it I hold with those positions, and if, if I, I'm proved wrong, then so be it. I mean, I've even had people say, well, what are you going to do if you're wrong? And, I'm, and I looked at them and said, well, I'm a human being. We all do
1: things wrong. If there's a God, he didn't make us all gods, did he? <laughs> right, exactly. No, it's, you know, it... and, and, and they said, well, what are you going to tell us? You got to go to the gate to St. Peter. I'll say, hey, I didn't believe it. I was wrong. <laughs> You got to let me in? <laughs> Buy my book, St. Peter. Check yeah. out my book. You know, I love, by the way, I
3: love the new Pope.
1: Yeah, you're a fan of his. I've heard you say... Oh, this guy's the best Pope in my lifetime. Really? You don't think that's just a PR charm offensive?
3: No, no. This guy's the real deal. Really? This guy loves people.
1: You can tell. Yeah. This guy, he even says atheists can go to heaven. He wow. said nice things about us, Jesse, hasn't he? Yes, he
3: has. Well, that's and good. he doesn't this yeah. guy's the best pope in my 64 years I've been
1: on the planet. I make no bones about it. He's so good, I've almost become a Catholic. Oh man! <laughs> it's not like the uh, it's not like the rhetoric we have coming from people like Ben Carson or Ted Cruz. I mean, I I can't believe in 2015 we still have politicians, you know, groveling and talking like that. Um, about, you know, like, basically saying Christianity is the only religion in America, and it's the one that... You have to, because you have to
3: remember that the United States is the most religious country in the world. It's true. Do you know the only three things we lead the
1: world in? Uh, uh, religion, prison incarceration... No, 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 Here's no, here's what we lead the
3: world in. Okay. We lead the world in our defense spending where we spend more on defense, the military, than the other 25 nations combined, and 24 of them are allegedly our allies.
1: Yeah, jeez. Right.
3: We yeah. also lead the yeah. nation, or the world, in the most people in jail.
1: Yep, yep. Which I kind of laugh about, considering in our
3: anthem it says, Home of the Brave, Land of the Free. Right. And <laughs> the Statue of
1: Liberty stands for liberty. Right
3: which means freedom, and we have the most people in jail of any country in the world. I kind of laugh every time I hear the anthem now and they get to that part of the brave land of the free. And I go, we ain't land of the free, we got more people in prison than anybody. And finally, of course, as an atheist, we have the most adults who believe angels are real. (laughs) Oh, God.
1: Yeah, and they're all voters in Iowa, too. I don't know. I don't know about that. And I
3: don't want to knock them. They're entitled to their opinions. Of
1: course. They're entitled
3: to have the beliefs that they want to believe.
1: Just don't force me to believe what you believe. And that's the glorious thing about
3: our country. Yes, we have freedom of religion, and we also have freedom not to believe
1: the religion. Very well put. Absolutely. So I want to go back a little bit to your uh, Navy career when uh, you were a frogman uh, back in the day, Governor. And I remember hearing you mention, I don't know if it was a taped interview or in writing, that you were actually in the Philippines when uh, Ferdinand Marcos, the 10th president, uh, declared martial law on September 22, 1972. What was that all about? What's that? What, what was that all about uh, when you were in the Navy as a frogman?
3: Marcos Had where the president could only do two terms, yep. And Marcos decided he didn't want to leave, right? It's that simple, right? So he declared martial law and he gave himself the power of president, the Congress, and the Supreme Court. and He had the military backing of him,
1: right? And he thus that day became a dictator. And didn't he kind of like try and cook up that there were threats of a communist and Muslim insurgency overthrowing him and stuff?
3: They they would use problems with uh, with uh, the Muslims
2: yeah.
3: and with you know the, the communist oh, Filipinos yeah. and all that. Right. So that was the excuse that he used to declare martial law. And of course, under martial law, he's the commander in chief and he he assumes all the powers. And then he just simply kept them until they finally threw him out, which was remarkable because. They ended up doing it really with a nonviolent revolution, but it just took decades to get it
1: done. Yeah, martial law went on from 72 and 81, and, and you said you were in the Philippines when that happened? You were, you were actually there? Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, because that morning, that morning all of a sudden there was a soldier on every corner of the street with a machine gun. Really. Yeah. So and, hey, you know, and you kind of looked around. And thought, gee, it wasn't this way yesterday.
3: What the <laughs> hell's going? I had no idea. And then I got back to the base, and I said, "What's going on out there?" I said, "There's military on every corner," and they said, "Oh, Marcos has declared martial law."
1: So you weren't you weren't there on an operation. You were just there on a base during your tour, or
3: yeah. We were, we, were, we, uh, we operated, our headquarters was out of Subic Bay, Philippines.
1: Oh, okay, okay. And
3: so we would operate out of there. That was our headquarters. We, we, would, we, would, we would always leave Subic and go to other places, but ultimately our headquarters was always located in Subic Bay in the
1: Philippines. I see. So when Marcos did that, he didn't really interfere with you guys or mess with you guys? No,
3: not a bit. Okay. The only thing it was, when you went out in town now, there was a definite military presence. There were, right. you know, military people all over, and jeeps and checkpoints and things of that nature going on. And I think that if I remember right, if I recall okay. right, he gave the people of the Philippines, here's a good thing for your gun control, Yeah, which I'd forgotten.
1: That's a conduit for the beginning of martial law. Yep. And you think. That was
3: the first thing Marcos ordered.
1: Right, the guns.
3: He gave us 70. Why was that number one on his list, I wonder? (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) So do you think that could happen here in the States in your lifetime, Governor? You know, kind of seeing after the Boston Marathon bombing, Governor, the streets of Boston, that that was kind of scary looking, huh, with the tanks going up and down city streets? Yeah, and I found that was like, you know, remember this, whenever the government gets ready or thinks about implementing things, they always practice. They do a test run. And boy, that Boston thing,
3: I was in Mexico at the time, but I got feed of pictures of that, and I looked at them, and immediately... I thought, geez, this is like a rehearsal for martial law.
1: And i got to tell you... What did
3: we need army tanks in the street for? These were two crime... What, the, the, all we've ever needed was a police force before. Right. Why all of a sudden did it require a military response?
1: And i got to tell you, the media got right on board with it, were the loudest cheerleaders for it, and the people in Boston were cheering for it. They, they welcomed this. Well,
3: I will tell you this... If they ever tell me I'm restricted to my house, I will immediately walk out and walk down the center of the streets Ah, because there is nothing in the Constitution of Bill of Rights that gives them the power to
1: put you under house arrest. That's true. They call it a shelter-in-place order, but you're absolutely right, Governor. There is nothing in there that restricts you. There is nothing in the Constitution of the Bill of Rights
3: that allows the government to put you under arrest and and subject you
1: being a prisoner of your own home. Yeah, that's true. And uh, that's... Uh... That's crazy stuff. Another, uh, you've been in the news recently too, Governor, with this whole um, this Chris Kyle issue. We we heard you calling to Opie and Jimmy, and I thought that was great when you called in. And no, no, he he him He Didn't call in. He was there physically. Oh, you oh you pop, you popped your head in the studio. What happened with that, Governor? What what's going on? Well, with that the... was just I was I, I was on the book tour, and I went to New York for a couple of days, and they always booked me at Sirius Radio Sirius XM. Yeah. And I won't do the Opie and Anthony show, and so while I was there doing it, it was going on, and I couldn't resist to so have fun at their expense for I, change. I simply popped my head in the studio yeah. and said I won Chris Kyle was a liar ah, I love it I love and it not, apparently somebody told me that
3: when I lost, they all agreed with me including that little shit
1: Norton yeah Jim Norton that shithead who who you should have yeah. just, just crushed
3: I just that even he
1: really they, they, somebody told me that
3: you should talk to those guys because they agreed with you now. They realized Kyle did lie.
1: Yeah, they actually wanted you to stay and sit down and elaborate, but I'm sure you were on to another event. You had a time constraint.
3: Oh, I was, and not only that, but I'm—you know they're the ones that started this whole mess. Yeah,
1: right, yeah. They're not going to sit and claim to be innocent bystanders no, no. in it because hated my guts for some reason to begin with. Well, he's and kind he of an idiot. This is an excuse to trash me even more. Right. And I won't make them any money by going on their show. So oh, I
2: true. will never go on there. But I just thought it was fun. I thought I could have some fun on these guys now.
3: So I popped my head in and <laughs> declared my victory. I guess it went. they used it and it went viral over it, the internet. It did. Well. It was everywhere. It was I
1: won. Like Chris I, Chris, I, Chris, I, Chris Kyle's a liar. So it's crazy with this with this lawsuit too, Governor. Basically, someone can lie about someone such as yourself and then profit from it. That's kind of what the precedent with this lawsuit was. I mean, break down what the update no, is on. No, like. the precedent, the lawsuit itself. I sued him for defamation. Right. For lie about me, and then I sued him for unjust, unjust enrichment. enrichment. And he used that lie to make money. Right. And the, the jury agreed. The federal judge agreed. But now thirty-two major media conglomerates have entered the case, oh, after demanding you. the unjust enrichment. The law be changed. Right. Yeah. The media wants the ability to be able to defame you and profit yeah. from it. It'll be a business for them then. And that, listen. So if they prevail. They will
3: be able to defame people, pay a little bit of money, and profit from it. It would be the equivalent of this. If you went out and robbed the bank and got caught, they send you to prison for the three years for the actual robbery, but then when you get out, you get to keep
1: all the money you took. (laughs) That's that's hideous. That's what they're asking for. That's hideous. Well, it's, I mean, that just shows you, it's all about money at the end of the day, and they peddled this lie for several years, and it obviously, you know, hurt you and hurt your image, and I, I think I've heard you say recently, now you have a tough time going to these SEAL reunions, and, and, and there's, there's a... Oh, I can't go to them. That's
3: horrible. By my own choice, how could I go there now? Who's going to stab me in the
1: back next? Yeah, yeah. And, and and is it true, Governor, that you actually approached Chris Kyle or contacted him and said, hey, look, if you agree to say that you lied, we'll shake hands and I'll, we'll walk away from this and that's it? Absolutely. We had, I didn't even know who he was until we had our
3: first settlement hearing June of 2012 with the lawsuit. And he claimed that if we met one-on-one, we could work it out. So they said, would you be willing to one-on-one? Okay. I said, sure. And I told him at first, I said, you never hit me. What the hell is this all about? And he goes, yes, I did and I looked at the judge who was over the corner and said I don't think we can accomplish anything here I offered I said if Kyle will come out with me in a press conference and he fabricated the story I will forgive him and we'll
1: both move on right he wouldn't do it no he wouldn't do it he wanted to sell books and so I ended up going to court we fo- now imagine how overwhelming the
3: evidence had to be for me to beat a dead veteran because he had passed, I would have been killed now, right. and his grieving widow.
1: Right. So how overwhelming was the evidence for a jury
3: to go, you know what, we're going to stick with the law, and it clearly shows that this guy lied, he profited. His book, the pre-sale of his book was 4000 The day he went on Opium Anthony
1: and Bill O'Reilly, it jumped 100000 in one day. Right, he said, I, I punched out Scruffface." Face. So then, yeah. And it was all because of what he said he did to me. Right. A big fat lie. The, the, the complete lie. Complete lie. because well, yeah, it, it never happened. It never happened. We're polling for you, Governor. and We know that you're in the right. We know he's a liar. And obviously it's sad that he's he was killed, but you know Well,
3: I wish he wouldn't
1: have been killed. I course. wanted him in court. Of course. Of because course.
3: you know, we did have five hours of deposition on him though.
1: Yeah. Because we
3: got him deposed before his untimely death. Right. So that was shown also to the jury. Did you have you to... know, The jury saw all the evidence, and the judge, the federal judge, concurred completely with the jury's verdict. He even wrote 24 pages in my favor, finished it by the federal judge, by saying that there was substantial evidence supporting the, ju- the jury's verdict as well as the award. Right. And, uh, substantial means overwhelming,
1: not just a little bit. And even, even the owner of the establishment said that he, he saw no such thing happen. And people who were there said that they, they saw no such thing happen. So it's, it's. Well,
3: it was interesting because what was sad for me is they brought in about five or six of his Navy SEAL buddies who tried every way they could to stand by him. But when it got down to it, none
1: of them heard anything, and none of them saw anything. Right, and you always bring up the point, you know, a governor getting punched in a bar, there would have been cops there, you would have had bruises on your face, all this stuff. Nothing.
3: Oh yeah, well, see, they didn't know that I was on, I, I'm on my way for two thinning medicine.
1: Right. So
3: if he'd hit me like he said he did, it shows up three times worse on me. Right. Because I will bleed.
1: Yeah. Well, you That's you. Much more than a normal person will now. Well, you ain't got time to bleed, Jesse. Nah. <laughs> but, well, I didn't
3: that night because nobody hit me. <laughs> I can guarantee I didn't have time to bleed that night. Oh,
1: so good. It. Uh, you know what? I'm just pulling for you, and I think everything's gonna gonna work out in your favor in the end, Governor. And I really hope it does.
3: Well, I hope so because, if it, rest assured, I won't be o- the only one that pays a price on this if the media is successful at yeah. this. Uh, Like I said, uh, uh, defaming people will become a profit-making business for them. Yeah,
1: even more so than it is now. Um, So jumping topics, I want to go back to your time when you were governor. Um, This is always something I tell people about when I tell them about who you are, if they've never heard of you, or if they don't know a lot about you. Um, When you were governor, you took a trip to Cuba, um, flying in the face of the Bush administration, and them wanting you to go there. I mean, talk a little bit about going to Cuba, governor, and what it was like hanging out with Fidel Castro.
3: To see what the island was like firsthand. I did. It's a wonderful place. The people are terrific. Amazing. The people love the people of the United States. They just don't like our government. Hey, they love us. Makes three of and us. And it's ridiculous, this whole embargo that we hold against them simply because they have a different kind of government than we do. Right. I mean, we trade with the Chinese. They're communist. Why won't we trade with Cuba? It's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I'm happy over things how things have gone, and,
2: uh, you know, I went there over the objections of George Bush, but I there
3: was that. a lapse where they allowed certain medical and agricultural <laughs> in the embargo, so we took advantage of it and went there on a trade mission, and I got a one-hour one hour with Fidel Castro, which I believe I'm the only elected official while elected that's ever done that, and I have a photo of me and Fidel, and uh, it sits prominent right on my wall, because
1: let's face it, Fidel Castro, he's a pretty well-known guy. Legendary. And, and, and he'll go down in history
3: forever and ever, amen, whether you like him or not. Right. And uh, it, what was interesting about it, in, a sh- in short, was that when he met me, he shook my hand And he he first said to me, you're a man of great courage. And I found that a bit strange because I said to him, I said, well, Mr. President, you don't know me. How how do you know that I have courage? And he said, because you defied your president to come
2: here. Oh, yeah. And I kind of laughed and said, well, you'll find I defy most everything. And he laughed. (laughs)
1: That's uh, a good icebreaker.
3: uh, What I thought was weird about it was him telling me I had courage. And whether you agree with Fidel Castro or not, one thing that's not arguable is that he has courage.
1: Oh, yeah. When you've had the CIA... Anybody that could take a
3: rag-tag bunch of revolutionaries, overthrow a dictator, and then withstand the onslaught of the United States of America for 50 years... Yeah. There's a guy, whether you like him or not, you've got to say he's got gonads and
1: courage. Oh, yeah, not to mention having William Harvey and E. Howard Hunt and all those guys trying to kill you. Yeah, but I mean, there's a guy with courage. <laughs> Absolutely. Clearly, Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Really, you know, and for him to say, I have courage, I take that as a hell of a compliment from somebody with his status.
1: And, and I, if I remember correctly, you did ask him about the Kennedy assassination, and he alluded to his belief that it was from within in the United States. Oh yeah, I I, I had 20
3: minutes to go and I glanced at my watch and he basically I guess caught me and he said I'm sorry am I keeping you from something and I said no sir but I said you've only given me an hour and I said I have 20 minutes left I'd like to ask you personal questions he said ask me anything you want Wow. And so I got into Kennedy and told him I was 13, 12, or whatever it was, what it happened. And uh, I said, I, in many scenarios, you figure quite prominently, I'd just like to know what you think happened that day. And he was wonderful. I couldn't shut him up. He said it was an inside job. Oh. He said Oswald couldn't make the shots. He said, do I look suicidal? He said, if I would have killed Kennedy, the U.S. would have wiped Cuba off the earth. I love my country too much for that. And then he told me other things that I later verified to be true. So I don't think Castro lied to me at all. I think he was very truthful in everything he told me about Kennedy and what he knew about it.
1: Wow. Now, Governor Dar do you still qualify as an expert marksman? Yes. So I, I, I remember seeing the footage of you trying to replicate the shots. Uh, and Yeah, I tried
3: to do it on conspiracy theory.
1: Right, yeah. Tyrell was telling me you guys actually had and, the same... And, and couldn't do it. And uh, I qualified ex-
3: up ripley with an m16 and i fired up there as governor and they told me governor you still got it you qualify expert
1: wow so yeah and
3: so you know shooting's kind of like i don't know it's kinda remember burt Reynolds in the longest yard when he said he hadn't picked up a football in about eight years
1: yeah and he threw it right through the center of the tire and the other guy said it's kind of like making love you never forget (laughs) (laughs) it's like riding a bike you never lose the rhythm Um, i got to ask you, Governor, I was actually with Donald Trump this week and Monday. I was on the Today Show with Matt Lauer in the audience. And, um, you know, what do you think? Is, is he for real? What, what's, what's the deal with him and what's the deal with Bernie Sanders?
3: Well, they're for real. I love what they're doing. He's fracturing the Republican Party. I love it. If you go back to my campaign with the Reform Party, Donald Trump came and supported me. Right. I've known Donald for 25 years. Now I consider him a friend. Do I agree with him on the issues? A lot of them, no. Right. But I love what he's doing. He's fra- I wrote the book, Democrats and Republicans. Oh, yeah. No more gangs in government. He's fracturing the Republican Party. I love it. And I love what Bernie's doing to the Democrats. Uh, as a result of what these two men are doing, in the near future, we might see more candidates for president at the end of the line. That would that you would, might see these parties get fractured and the two party dictatorship could possibly disappear.
1: That would be great. That'd be a great day for democracy and that's
3: and you don't have to Bernie
1: and Donald for what they're doing right now. I agree, I think it's great also, and, and I I heard some rumblings that maybe you're kind of flirting with the libertarians about collaborating, is there anything?
3: Well, they've invited me to come to their convention the end of May, early June, and I wouldn't think they'd invite me there without considering if I wanted to be their candidate and get their ballot access, and I'm, I'm looking at it because, again, I'm an atheist, but... I start to see destiny out there, and I'm starting to question my atheism, because if you believe in destiny, then you, you can't be an atheist, because that means there's a power out there. And uh, it looks like it's setting up for me. In the last election, nationwide, 64% of the people didn't vote. Right, That's nearly two out of three. Then you've got the Sanders people and the Trump people. What happens when they don't get the nomination? Where do those voters go? Yeah. Would a certain percentage of them come to Jesse Ventura as an independent in the middle? Yeah, I think they would. That
1: would be phenomenal. And
3: so then it would just be a matter of getting the endorsement from the uh, from the libertarians and then shaming them and putting enough pressure on them so that they would allow me in the debates. But that'll be the tough thing because they saw when
1: I'm allowed to debate I can beat them because oh. I did it in Minnesota. Well, yeah, so I went five percent in the polls. To the election in seven weeks. Retaliate in 98. And, uh, yes, retaliate in 98. I love Bo- it. Body slam the two parties, Governor. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I know your, your buddies with him. Gary Johnson is going to take a run at the LP, too. So, Well, maybe so. You know, uh, yeah,
3: Gary Johnson, I supported him last right. year, the former governor of New Mexico. And, you know, who knows? Could that be the
1: ticket? That'd be amazing. You know, I mean, I think I should be at the top
3: of it because I'm going to get a lot more publicity than Gary can. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that's true. And, 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 you know, Gary, if you're listening. But I'd love to have Gary
3: sitting in the wings to be my right-hand man.
1: You guys would be, that'd be an incredible ticket. That'd be amazing. uh,
3: Then Karen Johnson would be, and and I
1: spoke, Gary and I spoke last week. Oh, really? And, and, And he encouraged me to do it, so.
3: Maybe Gary's got the same thing in mind that I
1: do. Yeah, he's definitely going to go for it, but I mean, if you guys do, if you guys team up and do actually do it, man, that that would And also, I'm sure you know about the lawsuit the Green Party and the Libertarian Party have going against it. Yep. So And I hope they're successful at it because if they're not successful,
3: if you think Donald Trump causes trouble, you wait to see me if they won't let me in
1: the debates. Oh, my. That, that would be... that would be. Um, now, how, how would you compare wrestling in the ring to wrestling with politicians in the media now? Well, I did, I did a class, actually, at
3: Harvard when I taught there. It was entitled How Pro-Wrestling Prepares You for Politics.
1: Oh, yeah. And
3: it does, in a way. It does in more way. It, it, strongly, because in the world of pro-wrestling... You have to be able to think on your feet quickly because anything in the match that can go wrong will, Murphy's Law. So you got to be able to think quickly. Second of all, you got to be able to sell yourself on a microphone. What's the difference between selling yourself or selling to get a vote?
1: Yep, same thing. It's the same thing. And
3: finally, and probably the most important thing that compares the two, you may be nothing like what you portray on television. And these Democrats and Republicans have proved time and again that they are nothing like what they portray on TV.
1: Right. So you're, you're, are you ready You to bring so the I heel think back?
3: I wrestling truly does prepare you for the world of politics.
1: You ready to be the heel again and bring back Jesse the Body to get, get in the ring with these guys? Well, not so much the heel. I've had to become the heel to survive the Chris Kyle stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah you were telling Alex because, Jones that uh, you know there's a lot of people out there that I, I always get introduced,
3: love him or hate him. Well, why <laughs> would anyone hate me? What have I done to deserve hatred? Nothing. I, I don't. I Nothing. don't see
1: it. Nothing, in my opinion. You've done only. I speak my mind. I govern the best of my ability. I've served my
3: country. Yeah. Uh, I've been a mayor and a governor. Uh, there's, you may differ with me politically, but it's no reason to hate me. What do you think and about? Yet I'll be introduced that way. Love
1: him or hate him. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the moniker Jesse the Statesman? That's what I like to call you. Uh, well, I call myself a statesman
3: because you know a politician makes it in their career.
1: Yeah, exactly. A statesman, in my opinion, goes and serves.
3: And when they're done serving, they uh, go back to what they used to do or get a new job, yeah, like, which is what I do.
1: Exactly. statesman and renaissance men are two ways I describe you, and you were so inspiring to me, so much so, Governor. I ran for state rep out here in New Hampshire in 2012, and I got Gary Johnson's endorsement, and I lost my primary by 70 votes. No kidding. i to try again. And I'm going to try again, and I had, I, I wanted I to... Tell that never give up attitude, because no. if you've
3: ran once, exactly and And when you run again the name recognition
1: will help you much much more well governor
3: if you lost that close i would encourage you to try again
1: if i run again will you come out here and work on my campaign and give me some pointers well you
3: don't need me but uh, (laughs) i'd be happy to but the problem is i don't fly yeah
1: that yeah that's another thing i wanted to get to um so you drive everywhere right Yeah, because I've got metal in my body and I don't desire to be treated like a criminal. Yeah, you don't want to get... I go to airports, I'm treated like a criminal. Yeah, that's so hideous. The TSA are a bunch of muggers and a bunch of idiots.
3: Well, no. When I walk through the metal detector, it goes off. There's
1: nothing I can do about it. I have metal in my body. Right, but
3: I... And so the minute the metal detector goes off, you're going to get the full treatment. And I tried to bring a lawsuit. I, I sued under the Fourth Amendment, Reasonable Search and Seizure. I contended that it is not reasonable to believe Jesse Ventura is a threat. I've been a mayor, I've been a governor, I'm an honorably discharged Navy veteran, and I've been flying for 30 years. But here's the bigger question I wanted to raise. Why is it the government's job to provide security for the airlines when the airlines are private sector businesses?
1: That, that's a great point. And we, before-
3: and here, and here, Delta flies out of Minnesota. If it weren't the government providing security, I could
1: have a relationship with Delta to where Delta would know, Oh, that's Governor Ventura, put him on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't you
3: don't have to search him.
1: No, yeah, that's
2: ridiculous. we know
3: he, he you know, he's been flying with us for thirty years.
1: Exactly. He's the governor, former governor,
3: put him on the plane. But see with the with the government you can't do that
1: no no of course not and,
3: you, and they have standard operating procedures and if they get violated you get the whole treatment so that's why I quit flying I did it out a protest because Napolitano said about the airports and the security she said if you don't like it don't fly so I said okay Janet I won't fly yeah
1: that's yeah it's been a few. And I'm
3: not saying I'm going to bust them but I'll bet you I flew an average of
1: about 20 to 25 thousand bucks a year wow which they don't get anymore. Their loss. So you mentioned uh, Stephen King earlier a couple times, uh, another project uh, that you were on that he was also on, uh, obviously The Running Man under Richard Bachman. Um, Isn't it crazy how we're kind of in an environment now with reality TV, with this current election and and with uh, the way people kind of give up their own privacy, that we kind of look like a dystopic version of The Running Man? Yeah, we do, but I actually did a show
3: that predated reality TV, and it'd be the biggest hit today, but the timing was bad. It was called Grudge Match.
1: Grudge Match? What happened with that show? I don't know if you ever saw it. We did it on syndicated television,
3: and we'd bring two people together who had grudges, and we'd build up to it, and we'd put them in a ring for a three-round babble where they'd use different things, like we had people beating on each other with big fish. <laughs> really? And it was a phenomenal show. We even brought in Tommy the
1: Hitman Hearns to do guest commentary with me once. Oh, that's phenomenal. Oh, man. And the whole pro- the problem was it happened about four years before reality TV hit. So you oh. just missed the wave, this basically. This thing
3: would have been the biggest thing on reality TV, but we were four years years too
1: soon with it. What do you what are you public wasn't ready for it yet. Oh man, it'd probably be big in Asian markets. They like stuff like that over there. Oh Oh, God, this thing was great. We called it Grudge Match. And we
3: we build it up with where the one guy tell the reason why he wanted the other one in the ring, and usually it was always because one person was a real shithead. (laughs) And the other person would want to get even and then the crowd goes
1: If I could create one It would be with Jesse the Statesman Ventura And Dick DeFurman Cheney <laughs> Well that
0: wouldn't Last too long I don't think yeah, he had one guy Actually throw up In the ring Because what they Were right. using Apparently
1: swallowed Some of it And got sick It was oh. great stuff <laughs> Speaking of it was mean, reality TV Right it was In wrestling, uh, did you ever see the wrestler with Mickey Rourke? And if so, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, no, I never watched a movie. I never will. Why would I? have lived it. Well, oh, yeah, you know, that's just to, just to see how. There I mean, ain't nothing that Mickey Rourke's going to show me in that movie.
3: <laughs> Do I? What's Hollywood discovers wrestling back in the seventies, what I lived through, and now I'm going to go to a movie to watch it. That's well, you know, true. just to
1: see his artistic interpretation of, of wrestling. I mean, Mickey. Well, I mean, Mickey's a you know great actor. I, I, mean, I know Mickey, and I already he did a great job. But sorry, don't interest me. I loved it. Hey, oh, that's, yeah, that's that's fine. That's, that's great. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't need Mickey to show me what I had to do. Live through. That's true. That's a very
3: good. And, and it's nothing on Mickey or the film. No, I just kind of laugh about it because when Hollywood does it, all of a sudden it's cool.
1: Well, right. I, I only bring it up because I, I'm a huge Mickey Rourke fan, and I, I did I did chat with Tyrell about um, his time working on uh, The Pledge with Mickey Rourke, and he, sure. had, he had some cool stories about that. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I, I know Mickey. I consider
3: him a friend. He's a terrific actor. But I just, uh, that movie, actually, the
1: movie's about Jake the Snake. Right, yeah, that's true. And At uh, least that, that's the interpretation I got from it. It reminds me very much of Jake Roberts. And, uh, Governor, what was the hairiest moment when you were a bodyguard for the Rolling Stones in the 70s and 80s? What was the most hairy moment? Well,
3: probably when it was open seating in those days, and the people used to pack in so hard against the hockey boards that you'd hear the hockey boards bending and creaking and ready to break at any moment from the mass of humanity. Jesus. And I thought, we'd be right behind these boards, and I thought, what in the hell happens to us if these boards break? Oh, <laughs> you know, and I thought I'm under the stage and out of here mix on his own <laughs> you know? I mean, no, it was in the days of open seating, and it would get kind of wild and woolly with the, the people It'd be so packed in there. you know how when you see them holding their arms straight over their heads,
1: yeah, do
3: you know what that's from?
1: What's that? They do that to try to create more room, oh. and then the crowd wedges in even tighter. Their arms are up because they can't bring them down. Oh Jesus! Did you ever have to stomp anyone out? Being packed in so tight
3: that you cannot bring your arms yeah, back going. down to your sides.
1: Did you ever have to stop stomp anyone out when you were running protection for him? Did I what? Did you ever have to uh, you know physically take care of anybody?
3: When I when I bodyguarded the stones.
1: Yes. Uh, there'd be a small little incidents that might happen, but nothing major. You'd usually just remove the person, send them down the road, and kick them out the back door. Oh, that's so good. It, that's... There was nothing big, big. I mean,
3: yeah. you know, it wasn't like you were disarming, like, all the where somebody had a gun or a knife and stabbed right. people. But you'd get occasional fights would happen, and when that would happen, you'd, you know, grab the culprits and toss them out the
1: door. That's phenomenal now, um, Governor, we're going to wrap up shortly, and, and I know when um you spend you've said before you spend half the year in the Baja yep. um what are your plans for your next incursion there, and are you going to um, you know what kind of books are you going to read and, and what kind of media do you consume when you're down there? Well,
3: I do my show off the grid I, I don 't watch media at all I don't watch television, I read between eighteen to twenty books a year, and I live life. Only within my eyesight down there. So it's a wonderful change of pace. I call it flushing out your brain.
1: Wow, that sounds amazing. And
3: uh, I choose to do that. And for, so for six months, other than prepping for my show off the grid, I really have no contact with the outside world at all.
1: Wow, that, that's a beautiful thing. I think that it's kind of like Thoreau in a lot of ways.
3: Uh, I don't know. It's something I choose to do. It's not for everybody. Right. But uh, I choose to live my life that way, and my wife likes it, and uh, we enjoy our time down in Mexico, and I love the Mexican people, and I love their culture down there, especially rural. There's an old saying, the rougher the road, the better the people, and I've broken down an H2 Hummer where I live.
1: That's awesome. And how long, is the dri- how long is the drive from Minnesota to the Baja?
3: Where I live, it's roughly five days.
1: Five days on the road. That's part of the fun. Wow, that, that's <laughs> amazing. And um, I just I wanted to get your take quickly. Um, when I, you... I got to
3: run, so make it fast because I got another call coming in
1: at 7. Okay. Um, I just wanted to know if you could name a couple of people in the media right now that you actually trust, whether it's alternative, um, and who you look to to get information. The only
3: people in the media I trust right now are. On, are... <laughs> I'll have fun with this one i on uh, Russian
1: Television America, my son. Yes. Yeah, watching the Hawks. Watching the Hawks. The Hawks. <laughs> Beautiful.
3: So I trust my
1: son. Well, I do too, and Sean Stone, and Tabitha, obviously, and of course you. Abby Martin is great too. I know you know Abby Martin pretty well. Sure.
3: Yeah, no, they're, they're all terrific. But uh, no, I, I trust, uh, that's the only people really in the media that I fully trust today. The rest of them, I think, uh, I, I don't have that kind of trust for right. them.
1: Well, Governor, I wanted—I just want to thank you for your time and everything that you've done. And it's been phenomenal talking with you. And um, if I can get some vacation time, I'd love to come down to the Baja and hang out on the beach with you. <laughs> you you'd like to do that, but
3: unfortunately you'll never find me and I won't tell you where I'm at. <laughs> it, it, it ain't nothing personal, but uh, oh, I, down sure. there I, I live alone call. and I like it.
1: And you're off the grid. And it's just like
3: Nick about rock and roll. It's only rock and roll,
1: but I like it. Oh, exactly. So well, bef- before you go, can we just get a quick, uh, a quick plug? You know, I'm uh, saying you're on Jackman Radio, or would that be cool? Yeah, here we go. All right.
3: This is Jesse Ventura, and you're on Jackman Radio.
1: Pay attention. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Governor. And, uh, safe... All right, guys. Take care. Thanks for having me. Be Sa- well, Jesse. Safe travels. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Well, there you have it, folks. Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, he's the coolest Telling man. it the only way he knows how to. Just straight, like it is. I guess we're not going to be getting an invite to the Baja. Eric had some kind of fantasy where he was going to have uh, Mai Tais on the beach with Jesse. and. Well, how about, how about this? Uh, if, if, if Jesse ends up listening to this, I'll get Gary Johnson, who's in New Mexico, to come down to the Baja. The three of us can hang out. and he- we'll, we'll broker the... We'll, we'll put the deal in place for the Libertarian Convention for you, next spring. You guys will summit for the libs. We'll summit for the Libertarians and we'll, we'll figure out. It will be our own Bilderberg group meeting, but it'll be on the beach at Ventura's Shack. <laughs> wow, that was, uh, man, that was mind-blowing. What a great interview. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We got some great stuff coming up. Um, Eric, why don't you close this out? Yeah, thank you for listening, folks. Thank you, Governor Jesse Ventura. You're one of my heroes. I know I said it a lot had a great time chatting with you and to find out more about our interviews and upcoming events we have some more great interviews coming Uh, you go to www.jackmanradio.podbean.com and we are on itunes under jackman radio we are on twitter at jackman radio and of course like us on facebook under jackman radio as always i'm your host eric jackman and i'm mike jackman Thank thank you for listening good night